Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Because the conversation is so big now and it's right on your doorstep, like do more to, to understand where we're coming from and what it is that we're experiencing. Welcome to Epic Business Growth for CPAs. My name is Geraldine Carter, founder of She Thinks Big Coaching. This is the place to be if you're a CPA who wants to grow your accounting practice. Weekly episodes are full of strategies and action steps that create a clear path for growth without working harder. Time to get inspired and grow your business. My guest today is Jermaine Guillaume, founder of Visionary Accounting Group. Jermaine founded Visionary Accounting Group in 2015 and has been helping nonprofits leverage technology as a means to gain deeper financial insight and real-time data. To date, Jermaine has led the company in recouping more than $2.8 million in receivables through workflow automation and accounting system conversions. I wanted to have Jermaine on the podcast to better understand the experience that people of color have when it comes to being an accountant and business owner, so that you can be on the lookout for opportunities to level the playing field. Let's jump right in with Jermaine Guillaume. Jermaine Guillaume, welcome to the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Geraldine. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to this conversation that is long overdue. So we're talking today about what it's like to be a Black person in business in America. So let's jump right in with some of the challenges that Black business owners face when it comes to starting and running a business. So being a Black business owner absolutely can be challenging. Some of the things we face are, um, honestly, we have a lot of proving to do. And I would say more than the average business owner. And it's that feeling of having to work twice as hard for half, you know, half as much, um, being careful of your tone, how you dress. Um, Black women, we love to change our hair, you know, so just kind of uh, navigating those microaggressions or those passive aggressive comments. And also kind of having to be that like token black person where people believe that you're supposed to kind of like speak for all blacks. Yes. And then when you think about being a business owner, I mean, it takes money to make money. Right. And so, you know, there are a lot of challenges where it comes to being funded as well as, you know, like getting financing. Um, You know, there's a lot of ways that there are underlying biases that exist. And some of these things go back, you know, hundreds of years that just have never been addressed you know, these are things that we have to navigate while trying to keep a business up and thriving and running. But then also those things on the back end, when you're trying to make sure that you're making enough money, you're getting the right clients. And if you do have to supplement any of that with funding, 
navigating that whole banking space because even that in itself is a challenge when you are a person of color. So let's go right to the banking space and talk about navigating that because I think that's a place, especially for our listeners who are CPAs and accountants who can and want to be aware of some of the invisible challenges that Black people do face when it comes to capital, finance, credit, all those things. What are some of the additional hoops that you might have to jump through that as a white person, I might not have to? Uh, Well, one that just kind of just pops into my head immediately is like predatory lending. So sometimes while we may have access to the funding, the terms and conditions may be different for me versus for someone else. So harsher requirements, greater hoops to jump through, um, sometimes maybe even a, a different type of package that I would have to provide to the, um, you know, to the banker or the lender. I think, too, the biases that might exist even in the type of things that you have to provide or the questions that are being asked as part of the application you know, process. Um, Like if a white CPA or accountant was working with a a black client to just, I would say, just be aware of those things and maybe call them out. Right. So I I find that a lot of times CPAs have relationships with a banker. So you might have someone that you would be referring your clients to. So just making sure that you are working with somebody who is inclusive, who is not going to, you know, I guess kind of be either predatory as it relates to your, your client um, and takes your client seriously and is not dismissive. A lot of times our businesses can be seen as less skilled and less professional. So just making sure that if you are going to be speaking on our behalf, when you're presenting us to these, you know, these bankers or these lenders, just making sure that you do that in the best light possible, but also that you're keeping your eyes and ears open or any bias or issues that may exist that maybe we might not even be aware of. It makes me think about being an advocate, putting in putting some extra effort into being an advocate for your client. Yeah, because I mean, technically think about it as accountants, that's what we are. And so I just think that um, when you're representing a back client, you just want to be a little bit more intentional, you know, in your thinking and about the things that we have to, I guess, navigate in this space so that you understand that, it might have you might have to do a little bit more advocating on our behalf than maybe you would for a white client, unfortunately. Yeah. So it makes me think that there's a whole other conversation over here that needs to happen among the banks where they need to be talking amongst themselves or not talking amongst themselves because that's the problem, but <laughs> talking amongst themselves about their own actual bias inside their own rules and regulations about what they offer based on who shows up in the color of their skin. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, and I think that's what the conversation, that's what people talk about or mean when they talk about systematic racism, right? So things that are just embedded in the process, just embedded in the system. I mean, 400 years ago, business owners and entrepreneurs, white business owners and entrepreneurs could literally use a human person, a slave, as collateral. You know what I mean? So I think if you think about that and think about how far we have or have not come, you know, that stuff is embedded in the system. And so the banks absolutely have a lot of work to do. So we'll get the bankers on that conversation. Let's talk about the piece about Black business owners potentially being seen as their businesses being less than. Oh, yes. Less skilled. Mm -hmm. Less skilled or taken less seriously. Open that up for us a little bit. So I know personally, 
I even struggle with this as well. But there is this notion that if your business is black owned, it doesn't have the same, I guess, air or professionalism as a business that is white owned. And so we tend to have to we almost overperform to make sure that you take us seriously. And um, and sometimes that's in, in little ways, like the way we dress, how we met, how we wear our hair. I mean, you have some women who will literally change their look when they're going into a certain meeting because they don't want to be perceived a certain way, you know? And so I think that it's super important that if a white guy can walk in with jeans and a t-shirt and you're willing to fund them, I don't know, millions of dollars. Yeah. And you see it. I mean, think about the fire Festival. This guy was just squandering <laughs> money and they just kept giving him more and more and more money. But what you'll hear, if you ask a Black person how they think about that, it'll be like, we would have probably never got funded in the beginning without having a proper business plan, without um, literally telling you how I was going to spend every single dime and how you were going to get your money back, you know? And then talk about if I didn't make that happen, you would never give me more money. You know what I mean? I probably would be written off henceforth now and forevermore. So it's one of those things where it's like, treat us all the same. I mean, we have good ideas. We got good businesses and things like that. And I think if you educate yourself more, you'd have a better idea of the things that we deal with. So when we come to you with these business ideas that need funding, you would feel a greater, I think, sense of maybe wanting to fund because now you have some knowledge about what it is that we might be dealing with and the issue that we might be trying to solve with said business. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yes. Let's come back to that. I want to um, stick with the double standard for a little bit. Cause I think a lot of us, especially the female listeners are going to recognize the double standard, right? Where the guy in Silicon Valley can show up with torn jeans and a t-shirt and flip-flops and be taken seriously. And as a woman, I would never dare show up looking unkempt. I would just be, I mean, that wouldn't even be, sh- I would be showing the door. Right. And I'm just imagining recently I saw, I'm going to call him out. Like I love Simon Sinek. I saw him on a LinkedIn video. He was totally unkempt. His hair was all over the place. He was unshaven. He had like a white t-shirt on <laughs> that was see-through and threadbare. But it's honest. And, <laughs> it's I mean, honest. and I was like, there's no way that I could as a woman do that and not just get shredded in the comments. And not only that, but Someone else, someone might watch that video and be like, you know, it's a pandemic going on. Like you can't make it to the barber. We understand. But literally in that same breath, if if one of us were to present ourselves not in the best light, quote unquote, we wouldn't even get those, you know, those passes. You know what I mean? Given that there's a pandemic and I can't make it to the hair salon or the nail salon or whatever. And, And I think the other thing is that, especially as a black woman, it's one of those things where it's like, where I see certain things going on, sometimes I'm like, I wouldn't even think to do that because I know it's not acceptable. So sometimes it's like, that doesn't even cross my mind because I know I wouldn't even be accepted to do that. So sometimes when it's like you see someone else, it's like the audacity or the entitlement to just be able to say, hey, like I can show up however I want and know that, you know, nine times out of 10, they're going to leave being slapped high five. You know, it's a little insulting. Yeah, it's a lot bit insulting. Let's not pull our punches. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) The thing here for people in positions of privilege, be it white male, be it white female, because we still, as as a white female, I'm still in a position of privilege, to really look at the double standards that we have around all of these sort of subtle cues around how we show up and the crap that we make up about who's more worth whatever, whatever, because of the way that they look be it the way they're dressed, be it the way their hair is done, be it the way with the whatever kind of footwear they have on. 
and the sort of free passes that certain people get and to really be attentive to what are we deciding that a certain person is not capable of based on how they've shown up. Yeah. And, and sometimes in, in deciding that when you don't even know them just yet. Right. So you know, you having that bias before you, they even open their mouths. So it's kind of like, and that's the feeling sometimes you get, sometimes you show up, but you're like, in, in our minds, it's kind of like, well, I'm, a, I'm already damned if I do or damned if I don't, you know what I mean? So I'm here, I'm showing up, but sometimes it's like, I already feel like I'm not going to make a difference. <laughs> the, the game has already been called. Right. The game is, you, you know, you're feeling like the game is already rigged. So, yeah. I mean, I'm here, but. Chances of me winning are slim. Exactly. Exactly. But let's not make excuses for ourselves. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that I enjoy about entrepreneurship, though, is that I determine how I run this business and I determine how I'm going to show up, right? And so one of the things that I've been very intentional about is showing up as my full self, something that I didn't feel I could do when I was in corporate. I mean, I was always the only. And there were, there were things that I experienced personally, the microaggression, the way I was spoken to, knowing that that was only happening because of what I looked like and that that would not happen to someone else. Or if it did happen to someone else, they'd call it out and get and get a pat on the back but if i called it out i'd be get, getting written up somewhere for being angry or too passionate you know what i mean and so it's like having to recognize those things and be able to say like that like i have to swallow that because if i say x or y this could mean me losing my job right let's just be super upfront about microaggressions what they are what they look like mm -hmm. because even when i had the conversation with men about what microaggressions are for women some of the men were like wait what i can't say that and i'm like no you cannot say that <laughs> so because times have changed because i feel like when you hear about things that like when you talk to like older people like you hear about the things that used to fly in the workplace you're like you were allowed to say that like <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 like don't say to me that you well you no wonder you're cold you have no meat on your bones like that don't say that to me. Right. So inappropriate. And I think what's crazy is that a lot of times is that they really don't even know that it's inappropriate. That's what's even crazier. Exactly. So, so give us, and I think, you know, in fairness, not in fairness, but like just in the interest of some people just have no idea and it's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but like, let's give them a forgiveness pass that they have no clue and let's clue them in. So, and same for me, right? Because I think that embarrassingly, the first thing I said to you when we jumped on a Zoom call last time was, oh, you changed your hair. And then I was just like, face <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah. So, um, so I'll speak honestly from personal experience. Like I change my hair a lot. It's funny because when I would actually literally be thinking about, let's just say what the next hairstyle is that I want, I'd literally be thinking about what the reaction was going to be when I got into the office from asking to touch my hair, from asking, is it my real hair? From, you know, making the comments about uh, how often, you know, I change my hair. And then you have the other side of things where um, I know, at least for me, like when I'm excited or I'm passionate about something, you know, sometimes I might talk loud. Sometimes I might be, you know, moving my hands. But then someone else perceives it like I'm being angry and like I'm overly passionate and or depending on, you know, how I'm speaking or how my hair looks like it's ghetto, you know, that whole phrasing. And so I think that those are some of the smaller things that you see happening in the workplace pretty often. And I think there are some black people that maybe don't mind calling like certain things like it is or calling it out. But I know when I was in corporate, it, I always felt like I was riding a fine line. And so while it was awkward, I kind of just, you know, joked or laughed it off, but it definitely was uncomfortable 
I do feel like, I know at least in my case, like I almost felt like my mom tried to over prepare me for what I was going to experience going out in the world as a black woman. So I kind of felt like there were certain things that it was like, I would never comment on, or I would never say, but then I'm like, you know, that's where, you know, privilege comes into place, right? Because someone feels like they can say something and it just, nothing is going to happen versus me. It's like, I have to be very careful about the things that I say, because that can literally mean my job. Wow. And, that, and that's the thing. And sometimes you have to ask yourself, like, is it really, is it clueless? Or is it just like, you know, totally oblivious? Like, I, I have no clue. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we could go, I could go on and on at the things that were deemed ghetto, that when white people do them, it's like fashion or, or you know, things that it's like, what? It's like, we've been wearing hoop earrings and cornrows for years. And it was deemed unprofessional and ghetto. And now a supermodel does it or somebody who is famous that's white, and it's like, oh, this is fashion. Oh my and God. I'm just like, what? It's crazy. I'm on both sides of it, right? I'm on the receiving end, and I'm on the giving end, right? I'm on the receiving end of the microaggressions as a woman. I'm on the giving end of the microaggressions as a white woman. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want it's like it's not. I don't want it to be all about poor me, but I'm just like it's scrambling my brain to be like, right? Holy shit! I know what that feels like, and oh my God, I'm doing the same thing. Nope, totally get it. Like, and even this, like, you don't have to make me feel better, right? You know, (laughs) I get that dynamic too, when men are like, you know, the whole me too thing and men are like, oh my God, it's so hard to be a man right now. And you're like, shut up. Like, this is not your time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Not about me. Um, There are challenges in the black community that white people are clueless to. And I think what you're alluding to is like, there might be a business opportunity that is clearly an excellent business opportunity, but because a white person doesn't understand the black community and what's going on, what the challenges are, they may not even recognize the business opportunity. That's exactly what I'm alluding to. Yeah. I'm sure you've probably heard or read about the funding disparities between like, um, you know, businesses that are black led versus white led. And even in the nonprofit space, just funding, right? Organizations that are supporting a cause that might be more specific to the Black community versus the white community. And my comment there is that if you don't, if one, if you have no knowledge, no clue, if you're really kind of just like ignorant to what's happening, if I'm coming in to pitch you on an idea that is very specific to what's happening in my community and you have no connection to it, you just may not even one realize that it's an issue or it may not be as deep enough for you to say, let me open up my wallet. And with that, I think that's why it's important to get outside of your bubble, you know, get educated, you know, hear us out. Don't be dismissive. Um, I even encourage sometimes my nonprofit clients who are, um, how they hosting these galas where they have like the funders and stuff showing up and try to woo them. Like, Start to think about other ways that you can introduce them to the people that your nonprofit is supporting so that they can get a first world view of what it is that you're actually doing, who it is that you're actually supporting, so that it's more of a connection to say, oh, okay, that's what's happening, you know, because we know it takes money to make money. And if you don't have enough funding, a lot of times your impact is going to be limited. And so I think it's very important for funders, VCs, all these angel investors, people that cut checks for businesses to educate yourself as to what's going on outside of your bubble and to pay more attention to those huge disparities in funding the different types of businesses that may be led by people of color or the organizations that are led by people of color. So talk to us about the nature of the work that you do right now, because you work with nonprofits. Yeah, so I work as a virtual controller for nonprofits. So I am pretty much 
performing as their, what you would call like outsourced accounting departments. I know you mentioned that you've had some experience with nonprofits. Transparency is key. Transparency in the numbers are key. And unfortunately, they either, a lot of nonprofits either tend to hire low quality workers due to um, lack of funding or they're dealing with volunteers who may not be as qualified for the complexities in nonprofit accounting due to IE funding again. And so one of the things that I really wanted to do was provide a cost effective way for these organizations to still have access to the financial expertise needed, but not have to, you know, pay for a full blown employee or a full blown accounting department. And so um, in that way, they outsource to us, but it's also fulfilling on my end because I'm supporting organizations that are doing beautiful and wonderful things in the community from, so, from you know, supporting racial injustice, you know, doing things for the kids in the community, um, and then also supporting small businesses in the community and community development to repair, you know, and make our neighborhoods beautiful. And so you know, they, while I'm doing work for them, you know, they do something for me as well. It's very rewarding to work with these kind of organizations that are, you know, making our world a better place. And I think that they often get left out of the conversation as it relates to how to get money, how to grow the organization, because people hear nonprofit and they immediately start thinking uh, struggle, right. Or scraping to get by. And so, you know, I'm hoping to kind of help eliminate that kind of mindset and discussion when you hear the term nonprofit. Yeah. Talk about embedded challenges and double standards. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about being left out of the conversation. Cause I think that there's an element of, I don't want to say in the same way, cause it's not the same, but in the same way as a woman, as a female business owner, I'm never going to get invited to the golf course with the dudes, right? They're just not going to invite me. <laughs> and you just like, as a woman, I'm aware that I got left out of the sort of business conversations that were happening that were doors that were open for men that just were not open for women because they they simply weren't invited. And it may have been intentional or it may have been unconscious. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Help us see some of the ways that you think either as a person, a black person in business or a black woman in business, that you think you're either intentionally and or unintentionally simply left out of the conversation so that we can recognize those situations more readily and make the appropriate effort to ensure that people of color are included? Um, Well, the first thing that honestly jumps off the top of my head is something um, like when you think about the the event space and the the workshops and the the conferences, you know, a lot of times there isn't a black person even on the panel, let alone a woman, right? So a lot of times you see these panels and it is full blown white. And I think that we each have something different, right, to bring to the conversation. And so I think making those type of things first more diverse, because then as we're speaking to these crowds of hundreds of thousands of people, you know, that's us educating more people on what it's like to be a woman, what it's like to be a Black person, navigating these spaces and navigating these challenges. And that means that our message gets amplified even more so that we can break down some of these doors and these stereotypes. I mean, it's a little discouraging a lot of times. I I saw on um, on Instagram the other day, like some statistics floating around just on the, the the number of like black CPAs. And it's like super small, but it's also like, I remember when I was, when I was in school, I didn't, you know, I didn't see anyone that looked like me coming and advocating 
for this. You know, you had the big four coming in, but they none of these people were black. And, you know, it just so happened that I was already an accounting major. But I'm just saying, like, you know, when you usually are tend to follow something or join something, a lot of times it's because you someone you looked up to or someone that you've been around have done those things. And so if you don't see people that look like you, you start to feel like maybe that's not for you or maybe that's not available to you. And so I think it's truly important that one, that we not only be brought in when it's time to talk about diversity and inclusion, but just make diversity and inclusion a part of what you do. You know, and it's, it's weird when you see like now all of these companies releasing like who's on their exec team and the one black person is in charge of diversity and inclusion. Like we have so much more to bring to the conversation and you can invite me to speak on your stage to talk about just what I'm doing in business, what I'm seeing in business. I don't have to get on your stage to talk about how to make your stage more diverse, you know? And so I think acknowledging that and checking your privilege, like, honestly. So just like I'm doing right now, right? Like I've had almost all white guests on this podcast until now. And now I'm having a black guest to come and talk about diversity and inclusion instead of having a black guest come on and talk about whatever their field of expertise is. Yes, but I think the difference here is that I reached out to you because I recognized that your platform was one that, one, I enjoyed already. You know, I'm a listener. So um, I thought that it would be great to just reach out to you to have this conversation. But I feel like we're taking it way deeper than diversity and inclusion, right? And we're just talking about not only the accounting space, but just in business in general. How can we make this space better for everyone? And I think that that's the conversation that more need to have, not just trying to be specific to oh, how can you be more included? Like, let's stop trying to support, like feed into the bias and let's just tear the whole thing down and start over. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much in here about bias. Like I just keep coming back to bias, bias, bias. <laughs> On this podcast, I talk a lot about money mindset and how your relationship with money can categorically get in your own way if you haven't cleaned it up. And I recently read a story about, you know, Tulsa has been in the news a lot lately and the burning down of Black Wall Street in, I think it was 1929, or I forget the exact year. But it makes me wonder about stories that might be embedded in the Black community that might sound like you better watch out if you're going to be successful, because look at what happens when you are successful. And I don't know that to be true. I'm just curious. When it, but when I read that story, it made me go, holy crap, that would not entice me to go be successful if the burning down of an entire community in 30,000 buildings or whatever it was, was, you know, you better watch your place is the message. Can you talk about possible money mindset issues that may be specific to the Black community that may be getting in their own way when it comes to business growth because of past events? Oh, absolutely. Well, for one, I will say is that there, there tends to be less depictions of wealthy Blacks. And so I think that initially there is this notion that if you're Black, wealth is not even accessible to you. Um, And then as you become a business owner, right, I have some Black business owner friends who are super successful. And it was almost like as their business started to make significant amounts of money, this was money that that they've seen, so much money that they've seen in their lifetime that it's like, oh my God, what do I do with all of this? Do I deserve this? So then those imposter syndrome things start to play out. Those insecurity issues start to play out. So I, and then we, you know, that coupled with the fact that we already talk about how financial literacy is not as prevalent in the black community. Um, I think it's important to help with understanding that 
if you worked hard and you put, you know, the work in, you're running your business, or, you know, even if you have a successful salary, right, that's because you worked hard to get there. But then the second part of that is understanding what to do with that. And that's another thing that I feel like accountants come into play, right? So if I'm a business owner, you know, nine times out of 10, I'm going to end up working with an accountant. And so I think it's important for that accountant to not only just do the work, but also to do the educating as well. You know, let me know what options are available to me to grow my money. Let me know what vehicles might be best for me and my family, given, you know, the goals that I have set for us. Like, you know, I'll be the first to say there's a lot of things that I do not know. And a lot of times because no one before me either has done these things or seen these things. Even navigating entrepreneurship, you know, my mom was at a a job that she worked for 20 plus years. That's not common now. You know what I mean? So it's a completely different experience. That's one way that I really and truly believe that accountants can make a difference is that, you know, in addition to doing the work, helping your clients to really understand how to manage their money and what to do with those funds and how to make more of it but also keep more of it as well. There's this notion of spending, spending, spending. We need to know how to keep more of it as well. And sometimes we truly don't because we just don't know how. So you dug in there to the piece around financial literacy and that the financial education that may be intrinsic as white people, we need to understand that you may not have gotten the same just by osmosis, the same level of financial literacy education and that there's a lot there. Like we shouldn't make assumptions about what you know and what you don't know about how to handle that money wisely. Yeah, because you, you'll, I'm sure like you probably read stories or, you know, some people even have made jokes out of it about how, you know, people have made a significant amount of money and then blew it all or won the lottery and then next year, next year they were broke, right? But this yeah. is true because so, so many of us either were born into poverty and if maybe not poverty, still have a poverty mindset. You know, that's from things that just were embedded in us for, for, you know, years due to systematic racism, the things that you've actually seen in your lifetime. And, and so I think that there's a huge breakdown in mindset that has to come with becoming successful and making more money in order to actually keep that, right? Because there's a big push for Black wealth and for us to, you know, spend with our own and put more money back into the community. But I think that there's also um, the piece that we were also missing was the education and the how-to, you know? And so I think that not just doing your work, right? Just checking the box off of doing the tax return, checking the box off of doing the bookkeeper, but also spending some time having the conversations, getting to know your client, you know what I mean? And then that way I feel like you can also identify the gaps and what it is that they are lacking as far as, you know, needing better money management. And then you can help break down some of that, that mindset that might be holding them back from having better money habits. I love that. Better money habits. So you all need help with better money habits. I'm thinking at two levels, there's the the KPMG level, right? Of inclusion, diversity, and bringing in more people of color into those spaces. And I'm also thinking more at the, the local level, the sort of solo person in public practice with a book of a hundred clients. I mean, that's where this podcast operates, right? Like I'm not talking to the KPMG CPAs. (laughs) It's clear that we still have a lot of work to do. And a journey of a thousand miles still begins with a few small steps. So in the interest of 
a few small steps, even though a few small steps are not enough, right? But we still need a few small steps. So where would you ask accountants who are in a privileged position, where would you ask them to most focus their efforts in order to begin leveling the playing field? Ooh, that's a really good question. So I, 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 the funny thing is like, I don't think that they, this has to be like this push to like, like go out and get black clients or anything like that. <laughs> but honestly, like you said, it starts with small steps. If you have black clients already, check in with them, hear them out, you know, don't be dismissive, acknowledge your bias and your privilege, you know, speak up and educate yourself. I, I think that there are some, sometimes I think because the conversation is so big right now, we think there has to be some crazy things that you have to be doing in order to make a difference when it really just starts at home, you know, with that, that black friend that you have that where you may not have known or recognized in ways that you might have been, you know, flexing your privilege, right. Or those black clients, like start with those who are right in your circle, you know, speaking up against maybe colleagues or people that you know, who are outright racist, right. It starts there speaking up and, you know, educating yourself. And then also if you are in the position, fund us, learn about what we have going on, evaluate your financing criteria to identify biases that may be, you know, blatantly or, you know, maybe even not so blatantly excluding us from being part of the conversation or, you know, just, I think it's important to just take the time to learn because I will say, I don't think that every white person is racist, of course. And I do think that some might be unknowingly racist. And that also comes just from a place of like ignorance, right? Not knowing. And so I think that because the conversation is so big now and it's right on your doorstep, like do more to, to understand like where we're coming from and what it is that we're experiencing. You know, it's the age of social media. You're seeing all these videos popping up and conversations that are happening. And it's like, I think for some of, you know, some of the white people, at least that I know personally, it's like, they had no clue that like we were experiencing these things. It's like, no, while outright slavery might be over, there's still a lot. We still have a long way to go. Start with your inner circle. Like start, you know, start with the people that you have access to on a regular. You don't have to start at 100. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. And I want to know for you, what do you think big about when you think about either your business or doing something big and important in the world? I would have to say that I think big about making a greater push for nonprofit organizations that are doing great things in our communities, supporting um, missions around like social justice and racial injustice, getting the type of funding that they need and getting the type of exposure that they need. That has become my mission, my, you know, it's my life's work. I love it. You know, I finally feel like I'm in a place where I am doing something that's work, but also fulfilling. And so it's important to me to change the narrative around these organizations. And so I'm hoping that, you know, my voice, you know, I know I can't do it alone, but I'm certainly hoping that my voice definitely echoes among, you know, a lot of people. Jermaine Guillaume, thank you so much for coming on the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a great conversation. Like I said, I'm an avid listener. So super, super, super exciting to actually be a guest. Thank you so much, Jermaine, for coming on the podcast. 
What stood out to me long before I recorded this episode is just how much leadership in the accounting space is predominantly white and mostly male. And as a woman, frankly, I'm not down with that. Jermaine reached out to me after hearing episode 84 with Carol Cox, where she and I explored lifting up more female voices in the accounting space. And I asked for minorities in particular to reach out to help this podcast be more inclusive and diverse. And I'm grateful to Jermaine for doing just that and wanting to have an honest conversation together that is very much long overdue. What this conversation helped me see is how pervasive and systematic biases and prejudices are in the accounting, banking, and funding spaces, and how much work there still is to be done. And it's shifted how I view my role as someone who values a level playing field. Rather than put right here a call to action that supports my business, which is what I would normally do, instead I pass along Jermaine's requests. Number one, speak up when you see bias, prejudice, or racism in play. Number two, take the time to educate yourself about challenges that people of color uniquely face. And if you're in the VC space, consider who you're funding. And number three, start with your inner circle, the people with whom you have contact on the regular. Thank you for joining me for this important conversation. I'll see you next week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down a 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.